While Girgis was finding his way into the newly conquered Hittite city of Carchemish, 400 miles east, Uni, the Mitanni queen, and her niece Citri arrived in the mountain village of Lelish, an ancient center of worship 60 miles north of Nineveh. Uni was on a quest to see what this Ishtar appearance was all about. Having grown up outside her husband's religion, Uni remained skeptical of the power of her husband's gods and was determined to show her people Ishtar was not the goddess people thought she was. Chapter 22 Uni Arrives in Lalish We are making the last turn into Lalish Valley, Queen Uni. The soldier on horseback yelled over the sloshing and sucking sounds of the slow-moving line of chariots. We will arrive within an hour. He was one of four scouts, skilled equestrian soldiers, charged with guarding important chariot trains through hazardous terrain. The nimble riders reconnoitered the best route and scanned for danger. These men on horses wore the same bronze-leaf beehive caps as the charioteers, but their armor vestments stopped at the waist instead of the thighs. Thank you, the queen replied, dismissing him with a wave. Did you hear, Citri? She asked her hunkered-down, shivering niece. Finally, Citri replied, lifting her head up into the wind. She'd been pensive for most of the trip, wishing she was a scout or a charioteer. Instead, she was relegated to princess duties, things having to do with official protocol and tradition. Her father had sent her to Queen Uni to learn all this diplomatic crap she felt was entirely useless. She planned to spend her life on horseback like her brother. It wasn't her fault she was born a girl. This trip is more difficult than I thought, Aunt Uni, Citri complained. Why make this dreadful journey now? To investigate the goddess herself, Citri. She arrived with items not of this world. You mean a chariot from the sky? No, no. There were heavenly items wrapped around her. What? Citri was skeptical. Her robes? Jewelry? Holy shoes? Or a magic crown? What are you talking about, Aunt Uni? An object came from Ishtar's womb. It is her talisman, the source of her power. I want this power for myself. We must find it, Citri. I want to hold it in my hand. I want to embrace Ishtar's power. A fierce wind stopped further conversation as twenty chariots entered the quiet village. The flakes of a threatening snowstorm swirled around them as the parade slowed and stopped in front of the temple. I hope it's warm inside, Citri said through chattering teeth. Large flakes of snow settled on Uni's long, dark eyelashes and clung to wayward strands of hair peeking from her shawl. Toma, Citri's brother, rode up alongside their chariot. We're here, Aunt Uni, he said. The handsome nephew of Uni had risen within the ranks of his father's equine corps. He was now the Imanthulu, or captain, for this unit of Imanti chariots. He grew up with horses alongside his sister Citri in the horse country around Nuzi. They both learned the craft from the horse master Kikoli himself. Mudad and Nabil stood waiting for them on the temple steps as six priests lined either side of the walkway. The wind let up when the chariots stopped, and the snowflakes drifted down lazily from the steel-gray sky. The agitated horses pawed the ground as their hot breath and sweating bodies formed steam clouds around them. As soon as the royal women stepped down from the chariot, the soldiers directed the horses to the warm, welcoming barns. Rene and Sadat stood off to the side of the welcoming committee. 
When René turned to his friend to suggest they follow the horses, Sadat was already on his way to the barns. René ran to catch up. They arrived as the last chariot entered the barn. The collection of sweaty horses, wet leather, wet wool, and grimy soldiers created a pungent, lively atmosphere, the smell somewhere between a circus tent and a football team locker room. The inside humidity quickly rose as the crews went to work. Some were wiping the horses down, checking their feet, and putting them away. Others were responsible for the chariots, looking for damage or malfunction. The long wooden spokes needed continuous oiling to keep them from warping. They also examined the goatskins covering the floors for holes and tears. Another group helped the riders remove their armor. Sadat and René offered to help, but the soldier brotherhood rebuffed the strangers. On the temple steps, Rabea stood next to Mudad to greet their guests. It satisfied her. Everything was under control. I must go to prepare Ishtar, Mudad, she whispered. Remind Sadat his friend must change. He will be Ishtar's assistant. Mudad nodded absent-mindedly. He was reviewing his welcome speech while his wife scurried off. As the head priest of Lalish, this was his chance to show how well this Yusidi center of religion was run. He had pulled out all the stops, embellishing Ishtar's temple with new symbols, new sanjaks, redesigned flags, olive oil candles, and other festive religious paraphernalia. And in the exact center of the room, sitting on a bright blue pillow, he placed the symbol of Ishtar's strength and fertility, a replica of Katie's IUD. End of chapter Thank you for listening. You can follow the story on my blog, jeadvm.com. Once on my blog's front page, go to the menu, pick My Books, and select Katie Becomes Ishtar. That'll take you to the Ancient Katie series of books. Inconvenient Goddess can be purchased as an old-fashioned paper book, or an e-book, as well as an audiobook set or can be downloaded from the audiobook site Spotify. More details are on my website, jeadvm.com.